0: On this Wednesday, February the 9th, in the year of our Lord 2022. I'm Pastor Baker, and on Wednesdays, we've been taking a look at Proverbs chapter 4, 1 to 9, is what we're going to be looking at right now. Proverbs is written primarily by Solomon, King Solomon, although there are other writers in it at various points. But this chapter 4 is is Solomon, and it's an address to his sons. Now, up to now, it's been an address just to his son, singular. But now it's sons, plural. In fact, verse 1 begins, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Now, Nowhere does he say whether it's his own sons or whether or not they're just individuals who he considers as being sons of the kingdom. Although verse 2 says, for I give you good precepts. And therefore, it certainly sounds like it's Solomon's own sons. And what he's talking about He's talking about how Solomon's own parents taught him to value wisdom. Now, wisdom simply means to understand reality from God's point of view. I've used this explanation. You go to a carnival, and let's say you're going to get on one of those rides. I like the rides where you're in a little car and you keep bumping into other cars. But before the ride starts, they give you instructions. You need to be always seated. You can't stand up in the car. You need to have your seat belt on. And there are some other things they tell you to do because they're telling you what to do so that you get You do not get injured. Well, that's really what proverbs is all about god has created the universe and through solomon he's indicating to us what how we ought to behave without being injured in fact that's really what the ten commandments are all about the ten commandments are a way of life that god wants believers to follow Because when you follow his Ten Commandments, then you will have a full life. And we're going to look at that a little bit more here. So, verse 1, chapter 4. Listen, O sons, a father's instruction. Now, the word for instruction also means discipline. I don't know about you, but I don't know of any father or mother who have had children that don't need discipline because they're born with original sin, they like to be independent, and oftentimes they disobey you simply because they want to. And so instruction often would be characterized by discipline. That's what the Ten Commandments kind of are, is a way of discipline. And be attentive that you may gain insight. Now, this is really important because you're supposed to listen to the instruction that you may gain insight. I've been talking about this quite a bit on the radio recently is that when I give a sermon, I just don't repeat what the Bible text says, I give the insight that god had in mind in writing about the bible text so you take any passage in the bible that has a historic event attached to it for example the we talked about this on monday the resurrection of jesus christ you aren't teaching children your own children or sunday school children properly if you just give them the elements of what happened during the crucifixion. He was nailed to a tree, he said some words, and he died. Now, if that's all you're talking about when it comes to the crucifixion, you've missed the real insight. Because the insight is that Jesus became incarnate for the purpose of dying, For our sins. Well, why did he become incarnate? That meant he became a human being. Because only a human being can pay for the sins of another human being. And there are no human beings since the fall of Adam and Eve into sin that could pay for our sin except for God himself, who became a human being. So... When you give a sermon, you're doing more than just talking about what the text says. You're talking about God's reason why he writes the text. Very, very important. That's where law and gospel comes in, because there's always law and gospel in each of these passages. Verse 2, I've already mentioned. For I, and that's Solomon, give you good precepts or instructions. Do not forsake my teaching. Another way to translate that is do not abandon my teaching. So how do most people, when do they first come in contact with wisdom? They come in contact with through their parents, because their parents are giving them guidelines as to how to live in the family so there's not a lot of rancor or argument or fighting among the kids, but this is how you are to live. For example, you're to get up in the morning, you're maybe to make your bed, you're to come down, have breakfast if you have an upstairs bedroom, Then you're supposed to get ready for school, get to school on time, and then be home in time for supper. And this is the way that life is. Now, a child is not born with that knowledge. A child learns that wisdom, that instruction from his parents. And a child gets in trouble When they forsake that teaching, I remember I was in grade school and we always played baseball afterwards and I was supposed to be home at five and boy, it was about five minutes to five. I only lived five minutes away, but I was up to bat. The bases were loaded. There were two out. And what am I going to do? Am I going to leave and say, I'm sorry I can't get up to bat because my parents say I have to be home at five? Well, no, I decided that I would get up to bat. You dream about hitting a home run and everybody gets home. But I did hit, but I only got to second base. And then it took about ten minutes before the inning was over. And so I got home late. And guess what? Supper was already on the table, and the parents were not happy that I did not get home in time uh, to say the prayer with them. And so there's an example where the parents gave instruction, and I forsook that instruction because I had something else I wanted to do. You see, that's what sin is. If you spell sin, the middle letter is I. If you sell a word, sm- sell smell, if you spell the word pride, the middle letter is I. That's where we don't listen to those who are giving us wisdom. We think about wisdom from our point of view. So after the first two verses, Solomon moves on to what he really wants to talk about here. Namely, how his parents taught him to value wisdom. He says, verse 3, When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. Now, have you ever thought about who are Solomon's parents that he is talking about? Well, he was a son to my father, And his father was King David. Remember, when God set up the nations of Israel, there were 12 tribes. The first king was Saul, and he was over 12 tribes. Then the second king was David, and he was over 12 tribes. The third king was Solomon, and he was over 12 tribes. But when Solomon died, he had two sons, and they began to argue with each other. In other words, one of them took ten tribes—they're the northern tribes—and the other took two tribes, the southern tribes in Jerusalem, and they were separated. Now, I find that interesting, that as good as Solomon was in trying to teach wisdom— he had two sons that ended up dividing the nation of Israel because they forsook the teaching of Solomon. I've often said, and this is why we're very blessed, we've had three children. All of them are Lutheran. Uh, All of them, except for Phil, who died, is in heaven. While he's in heaven, the rest are still living But the fact of the matter is, it's not easy to train children these days that they remain in the church. And why that happened? It's really something that God did. Yes, we taught them. But I know of a lot of pastors whose sons have left the church or a daughter I know of who became a pastor in a false church so wisdom comes from parents but that wisdom finally has to be carried on by god himself and we pray that the children do not forsake his teaching notice solomon says when i was a son to my father i was also the tender one the only one in the sight of my mother Now, who was his mother? That's right, Bathsheba. Now, why was he so tender and the only one in the sight of Bathsheba? Because, remember, her first son with David had died because of their sin of adultery. And so when David came, then she looked at him and really loved him. And you can understand how both David and Bathsheba, Bathsheba gave good instruction and wisdom to Solomon. In fact, he explains it. When I was a son of my father, verse 4, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my instruction and live. Now, another way of translating that, that we would say is cling fast to my words. Keep my commandments. Remember, that was the instruction of discipline. And then we have the first of three promises. And what's the first promise? That when we listen to the wisdom of our parents and wisdom of God, we will live. In fact, a way to translate this is, Cling your heart to my words so you may live eternally. That living means much more than just having a life here on earth. No, it means life even after death it's an eternal life and that's a promise and that promise still goes on today to those who are listening to the wisdom of God but but I know what you're going to say yes but I'm a poor miserable sinner well remember when Peter was fishing that first miracle and they caught all that fish what did Peter say Depart from me, for I'm a sinful human being. Now, that's nothing a Christian should ever say. What? No. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. You should never tell Jesus to depart, because Jesus has given you the gift of the forgiveness of sins. He has declared you to be righteous. In fact, you can see that difference in Peter himself, because that was the first miracle that they were aware of Jesus had done, all that fish in the boat. But on the time after his resurrection, he was on the beach and saw the disciples while they were fishing, and he told them, The same thing, let down your nets, and they caught many fish. And John said to Peter, it is the Lord. What did Peter do? Depart from me? No. He jumped into the water to swim to get to the Lord. See, that's the Christian attitude. Yes, we do recognize we're poor, miserable sinners because we sin often but we also recognize that we are sinless in the sight of God and righteous in the sight of God. So nobody should say to God, depart from me because he had died for you. Let your heart hold fast to the words of Jesus and live eternally. I mentioned this in the sermon last week. Let's say that you're late getting to work in the morning. So you get up and you're rushing like crazy. You brush your teeth. You put on your work clothes. You have a quick breakfast, maybe just munch down a pancake or something. You run out to the car. You get in the car and you start driving to work and you're getting later and later. So you're going over the speed limit. You're not watching very carefully. And you come to an intersection that's the lights changing changing to red. But you can get through. So you speed up and another car hits you and you end up being dead. What happens to you next? You're in heaven. You're in heaven. Yes, see, we believe that law and gospel does not mean if you do sins, you're going to hell, and if you stop sinning, you're going to heaven. No, you're going to heaven whether you sin or not if you have faith in Jesus Christ. The antidote to sin is the cross of Christ. And what was the teaching that Jesus gave in Mark? I have come to preach repentance. And repentance is an action on your part where you are sorrowful over your sins because of what you have done to Jesus and you want to do good works which no unbeliever ever wants to do for the right reason so verse 5 Solomon saying get wisdom get insight do not forget Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Now, another way of saying that is acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not turn away from the words of your parents' mouth. Now, that's assuming that they have been giving you wisdom. Verse 6, the ESP says, Do not forsake her. Now, why her? Because in the Hebrew, nouns are declined as masculine, feminine, or neuter. And it just so happens the word wisdom is a feminine noun. So not to forsake her means not to abandon what you hear from wisdom. And that wisdom, of course, is from Jesus Christ. Now, we already heard the first promise in verse 4, that you will live. Now, listen to the second and third promises. When you do not abandon her, the second promise is, verse 6, and she will keep you. What that means is she will watch over you. Nothing will happen that wisdom isn't aware of and will make sure that things still work out to your good. And the third promise is she will exalt you. She will guard you. So you get three promises by listening to wisdom and following it. You get life, you get protection, and you are guarded. In fact, the next verse is a good summary. Solomon says, The beginning of wisdom is this acquire wisdom, and whenever you get it, get insight. In other words, understand why your parents want you home from school at a certain time. It's so that we can eat supper together. Behind your parents' Discipline and instruction, they always have a reason. Just as behind the Bible's teaching, God has a reason for putting that into the Scripture. We're now going to get a little technical. There is such a thing as what we call chiasmic structure. That means that, well, ABBA. You can have four statements, the first statement and the last statement agree, and the two middle statements agree. There are some sermons that over are a page in length, and the first statement of the sermon agrees with the last one, the second agrees with the second last, the third agrees with the third last, all the way down to when you get to the center that is often the meaning. Verse 8 is a chiasm. It, first of all, talks about how we are to react to wisdom. It says, prize her highly. And the last part of the verse is to embrace her. And then the two middle parts are what she will do for you. She will exalt you, and she will honor you. What greater honor is there than knowing that you are a child of God? And that honor comes to you, not because of anything you have done. Verse 9 explains, She will place on your head a graceful garland. Solomon's already talked about that. You often see that around the necks of women, some garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Now, that word crown is really important. David talked about that the crown that he had when he became king resulted in life, salvation, majesty. Solomon wore a crown on his wedding day. Yahweh, that's God's name, is considered our crown. And you finally get 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. You and I as believers are wearing the crown of righteousness. So that's Solomon telling us to listen to our parents. And in reality, listen also to God. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to be talking about Law and Gospel, written by an important individual in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So join with us to hear that particular lesson. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. God bless you.